Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody. It's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. This week's episode features Sue Nobby. She's the founder of Orveda. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Bart Kachanovich, a.k.a. OMG Bart. Um, and I hope you enjoy these shows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty. I am sitting across from Sue Nabby. She's the founder of Orveda. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you, too, finally. So, um, you know, this is a little unusual. Usually, before a guest comes into my studio, we've had some time on the phone to get to know each other. Absolutely. And we just could not meet. No, I had a hectic week, so sorry for that. So, we're going to get to know each other now. Yes. While everyone else Let's gets go. to know Let's you. Let's go. Let's start. Perfect. So let's start with one of my favorite questions, which is, how are you going to spend your day today? Oh, my God. So today I'm going to spend the day meeting, you know, journalists, influencers. And at the end of the day, I'm going to do a masterclass at a club here in New York. And I'm going to talk to people about, you know, the future of luxury skincare and something that you may have heard of, which is this thing called the microbiome, you know, this stuff that everyone is talking about, prebiotics, probiotics, what does it mean? How does it work? Is it good for my skin? Is it good for my gut? So this is typically my days. I'm, you know, educating as much as I can to skincare, but also to health issues. And where are you based? I'm based in London. Mm-hmm. The company is London-based, but we are quickly expanding now in Europe and in America. So I first found the brand at Saks. Absolutely. The you brand. have a nice display on the beauty floor. Absolutely. We have we have a beautiful, you know, presentation at Saks, which is the first non-plastic counter, by the way. You know, we are obsessed with sustainability at Orvida, and we made sure our products are made with glass, but also, you know, counters are usually, I usually say that a lot of brands use too much plastic on counters. Ours is really not plastic at all. So this is also something I wanted to share with you. You mean the physical surface? Absolutely. is not made out of plastic. And nothing is single usage. Everything is washable, has to be washable, therefore reusable, so that there is no waste. For us, reusable is better than recyclable. And do you own this company outright or do you have partners? I am, I, I am the owner and I have Nicolas Vu, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of the company. So we are two owning and, you know, running this company. Uh, And at the moment, it's a great and fabulous moment, I think. And how many years has it been? So we've been working on the line since uh, 2014, which was, you know, three years into the kitchen, into the laboratories in the making. And then we started to retail our products two years ago, precisely. So in London, in the US, New York uh, and LA. And we are strongly expanding. We just had two stores in Switzerland. We are opening stores in Germany, in Austria. We're going to have stores in Italy. Italy, and of course, across the U.S. So let's get down and dirty here, because when I saw your display at Saks, I thought, oh my God, somebody spent a lot of money on this. So I think it's probably the least expensive counter of Saks, because everything, you know, has been thought to be sustainable, to stay there for some time, etc. And in fact, we've been doing it, you know, uh, I know the prices of traditional displays because I've been the CEO of Lancome for, you know, what, five years, uh, some years ago. 
and we are something like maybe five to seven times less expensive. And this is also part of our sustainability, you know, thinking, which is, you know, uh, let's not put money too much in things that are just, you know, visual, and let's put money in the formulations. We were obsessed with creating formulations that were highly concentrated. We say professional dose of skincare every day on your face, and at the same time, probably the cleanest, the greenest, and the most sustainable you can find on the, in, on the market at the moment. So I have a lot of clients in my day job at um, Face Beauty that are startups, and they'd certainly um, supporting Saks or other international department stores is um, it's a heavy lift, right? So when I saw your your display and how thoughtful it was, you know, it makes me think somebody's really investing here. So maybe your display is not as costly as you know a different um, prestige brand, but certainly there's a lot of investment. Absolutely. There is investment, in fact, in the thinking behind it because we wanted, for example, you cannot, you know, our products are not testers. Traditionally, brands, they put a product on the counter and it becomes a tester where thousands and thousands of people put finger in, which for us is a kind of, you know, it's a sin to put your finger in a, such a beautiful product. So, you know, there are Petri dishes, glass dishes, with a text is displayed and you can try every time you try it to try a fresh dose of products this is you know the investment which is more creative and also you know a kind of you know let's put back high-end skincare and high-end products where they should have always stayed which is something desirable something that makes you dream and something precious and not you know a cash, something that's you know basic that you could use every day like any kind of moisturizer so we wanted to have that in mind so are you saying on the dish it's an individual um dose to experience and then you wash it out and start again. So very much Absolutely. like, you know, we have some makeup artists in the um, in the studio today. So like she's always washing her brushes and washing her palettes. You got it. That's exactly the way we want to do things because we hate to put things in the bin. For example, we have a product called the Prebiotic Emulsion. It's sold with a silicone mask that you can rewash, therefore reuse. For example, I'm I'm a bit shocked by all these sheet masks that everyone is, you know, raving about across Instagram you said everywhere. sheet mask, but in your um, accent it sounds know, like shit mask. No, it's on purpose. <laughs> to be honest, it was on purpose because I strongly believe that, you know, they shouldn't sell these kind of things to people because, you know, they tell you that there is half a bottle of serum into one sheet mask. So is your skin going to be able to absorb half a bottle of serum in, what, 30 minutes? Impossible. Your skin will absorb what it needs and the rest will stay in the sheet mask. That would end up in the bin. Would you throw half a bottle of serum in a bin? No, especially if it's very expensive. On top of the waste that comes from the sheet mask itself. So this kind of thinking is, you know, people are always, you know, what is the latest trend? But the main thinking is, does it work? Is it efficient? Is it going to do something to my skin? And at the same time, what's the impact on the environment, but also on the society? Is it made by artisan? Does it make people work? Or is it, again, another factory that does millions and millions of units? And at the end of the day, this is huge stock. And if you don't sell your stock, you're going to destroy it because you don't want your products to be discounted. So it's a whole different thinking. The fashion industry is just starting. And the beauty one, I think, is, is should do its own act. So let's go back in time. Where did you grow up? I grew up in North Africa. To, I was born in a country called Algeria. I spent there, you know, my, what, first 16 years. And then I got graduated from high school. And then, you know, I remember my father telling me, you should become a doctor or something like that. And I, I loved this, you know, everything that's related to health, etc. But this was not my dream, you know. And I said to him, I remember it was in 1985, so something like 30-something years ago. And I said to him, I dream of 
biotechnology. And he said, what is biotechnology? My father was in the oil industry, which is, you know, the opposite of biotechnology in a way today. It's funny that I did something that's the opposite of my father did. And he said, okay, let me check if I know some people who know which studies to do to work in biotechnology field. I ended up going to France where I did, you know, an engineer school, engineering school, become an engineer in biochemistry and environmental science. And then on top of that, I added, you know, an MBA in business of luxury uh, products in Paris Business School. And I started in 1993 at L'Oréal as a simple brand manager. I was sent to the south of France, where I was driving a tiny car in the middle of nowhere and trying to sell shampoos to supermarkets. This is how I started at L'Oréal. Really? Yes. Uh, in the fields? In the fields mm -hmm. for, what, nine months. Did you get your MBA right after undergraduate? Yes, so, after okay. I had my 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 engineering um, my engineering you know diploma from the engineering school. The year after I did my MBA. Mm -hmm. And why luxury goods? I was fascinated by fashion, to be honest with you, and I wanted to work in the fashion world. And I had the chance at that moment, you know, to uh, to have some connections. I have had the chance to meet one day Mr. Yves Saint Laurent when he was alive, etc. So I was fascinated by this world. And I remember meeting somebody who told me, "Sue, with your background." you're an engineer in biochemistry, you should go into beauty. This, you know, background will be much more useful in the beauty world. And that's the way, you know, I ended up sending my resume to L'Oreal and I started some months after. Isn't it interesting that a random comment by someone could really change, change your life, right? I, I listen to everything. I, and I, I always think everything is a sign. From time to time, you know, um, uh, uh, people write to you on LinkedIn most of the people at my level don't even have a look. I, I read everything and I always think, why did this person propose that to me? And sometimes it changes, you know, the whole path of your life and your, and, and your, and your career. Sometimes it's a super opening in terms of business. Recently, you know, we got an article in the Wall Street Journal magazine. We had two pages. They came to London. They, you know, spent the day with me, etc. And I got hundreds and hundreds of people writing to me saying, we would love you to be here. We would love you to be there, etc. And sometimes you talk to these people and you see that there is a world that you didn't see, that you couldn't even imagine. That was a word very interesting for why do you think executives don't spend time in responding to people on LinkedIn? I think they 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 like to fill up their agenda with meetings and meetings and meetings. And I hate meetings. You know, I try really to keep my brain as open as possible, my eyes and my ears. So it's a fight, to be honest, because your agenda gets full quite quickly if you let it fill by itself. So I really try to keep it open so that you know I'm still. <clears throat> I'm still, you know, receptive to the waves and everything that people can say and ask from us. I think that those um, little moments with strangers are sometimes really profound. And I try to stay on top of the LinkedIn and on top of the um, people just emailing me that I don't know. Um, and while I don't get back to all of them myself, I'll forward them along to the different team members where Absolutely. it's relevant. You're totally right. Because I'm on the other side of those emails often too, right? I think I have a service that would be a value to you and I believe in it. And how else could I contact you Absolutely. except over Absolutely. email or LinkedIn? Absolutely. People do it and they're surprised when I get back to them because they say, oh my God, you're, you're, is it really you? I said, yeah, it's really me. And I try to understand why people are writing to me. So 90% of the things are, you know, people who want to work with you, etc. And I try 
to read their resume, see if they can fit, you know, with our needs. But sometimes people open, you know, business opportunities that you didn't even think of, or they give you information, you know, about th something you, you were not aware of. So it's everything has to be, you know, taken, especially when you're a business owner. Uh, at a moment where so many things are changing so fast. The things of the past, from one day to another, they can become obsolete. And if you're still, you know, concentrated on this, you lose opportunities. So it's very important to keep it open. What's next? What's the retail tomorrow? Where can... In fact, our obsession is not to say we're going to go here or there. We, our obsession is where is our customer? Where he or she, because we are a genderless line, where he or she can... Uh, look for, you know, vegan, uh, ethical, highly professionally concentrated skincare products. Where do they want to find them and where can we meet them? So if somebody tells me it happens in a tiny store in the middle of nowhere, we'll go there because the only thing that's important is to meet your customers and not to say, I am here because this is a famous uh, distribution, you know, channel. Or I am there because everyone is there. So no, where are they? And we go to them. On LinkedIn, when people message me, I always write back, thank you for reaching out, because that's really my genuine feeling. Absolutely. Like, maybe nothing comes of it at this moment for either of us, whatever their intentions are or my intentions are, but um, I do want to thank them. It's very important because, you know, I always put myself in the shoes of the younger, the youngest person I was, and I say, if I wrote down, if I wrote one day to, this, to these people, I would hate to have no answer or to have something that says we're not interested, you know, even not just thank you for writing and reaching out to us, etc. So that's very important. I do delete the spammy ones, the ones that... Um, Sometimes, yeah, you have to do it. <laughs> ...feel really um, aggressive. But a lot when... of them, you know, they, so, you know, the ones that I really either delete or I don't get back to, it's people who say, do you, do you have an internet site? We can help you. And they can <laughs> check it easily. We have one. Hopefully it's great. So it means that they didn't even check. So please check, have a look, try to understand uh, what's what's doing good with us and maybe where we, you can help us. And there, I listen to you. Yes, yes. So let's go back in time. We're You're driving around the south of France going from um, supermarket to the grocery store. Exactly. What was that job like? You know, my job was to go and, you know, at that time, uh, L'Oreal Company was launching something called Jacques de Sange, which is a professional hairdresser. It's like a John Frieda from France. And they were launching the first professional hair care line, which was quite, you know, in advance versus it's growing today, but it was 20-something years ago. And I was my job was to really promote it in the middle of nowhere, you know. So it, can you imagine? I was going in a store. I remember this story. This is a funny story. I remember visiting a store that I never visited before. It took me something like two hours to go there. And when I arrived, the lady told me, I'm sorry, you don't have an appointment. You have to come back another day. And I said, oh my God, it's going to be 200 kilometers back and coming back another day. I went on the parking and I called and I said, I would like an appointment for this afternoon. And she said, okay, I have some availabilities at three. So I went, I had lunch <laughs> and I came back at three and she saw me. She said, are you back? I said, yeah, I took an appointment. And she said, fine. Fabulous. That is awesome. Tell me what you want. I said, I want the whole shelf for my new line. She said, you got it. So that's, for me, also a great way to do business. It's really to surprise people, to make them smile. And then, you know, business is all about human connections. It's not just a question of numbers. Right. I mean, that's what it always comes down to. And I, I used to live in a world where I thought it was about... Um, accessing things from different points of view and you had to know somebody. And the reality is, is like, 
um, you can meet someone tomorrow that will change the course of your career or yes. your life. Mm-hmm. And if you're open to meeting people and building real connections, not looking at people like um, they're a piece of meat, right? Exactly. But really wanting to get Absolutely. to know them, everything can change. And it's way more fun that way. And people feel it. You know, most of us have this kind of instinct to feel something that's genuine and, and, and a real interest versus I'm here just because I need you. Even if you need somebody, that's fine, you know, because we all need each other. But it's important that also you get to know the person in front of you. You get to know her needs. You get to know maybe her disappointments in the past. And then you can do a fabulous job together. So um, you were essentially doing local regional sales for moment, L'Oreal. Yeah. What, what came for you next in your career? And then after I was, you know, sent back to Paris, so to my, which was my city, my, the city where I was living. And I was, you know, brand manager on a brand called Menon. You know, it does, you know, speed stick, etc. So I was, you know, creating uh, deodorants, you know, shaving foams and things like that. I loved it because it was my first, you know, I remember, you know, creating my first skincare balm. And I remember putting it on a shelf before it was already, you know, registered in a store just to see if people have a look at it. So I did my own test with one single product in the middle of a store of nowhere. Again, and it was funny, you know, because it was a kind of, wow, it stands out on the shelf. Uh, it looks good. And therefore, the people might, might notice it. And then I noticed that the things that were written were written too small. And then I said to my factory, we need to change the label quickly before doing the real, you know, uh, market um, launch. And we changed it and made everything bigger. And it was my first of, you know, a kind of real life testing. And who at the company taught you how to do this? Nobody. They don't teach you to do this. It's really something that you hear because you talk to people. I remember having, you know, my mother. She was, by a definition, older than me. She was at that time probably in her 50s. And she told me, please don't write things too tiny. I know it's chic. I know people from these design companies love things that are tiny, etc. But we need to read what we are selling. We need to be to read what we are buying, etc. And this stayed somewhere in my mind. And when I saw the product on the shelf, I said, oh my God, there is the name of the company that's visible, but not what it does. And people are looking for what it does. That's great. So um, you spent a lot of years within L'Oreal. 20. Wow, that's a long career. Yeah. Um, what kept you there for so long? You know, I grew. I grew with the company and I was very quickly noticed by the CEO of the company because at that time, even big corporations, you had the chance to do some presentation in front of the biggest, the big CEO, Sir Lindsay Owen Jones, you know, who retired today. And I remember hearing him saying to somebody, who is this person? And I said, oh my God, if he says that, it means that I did something that was unusual or good. And in fact, he ended up asking me, where did you learn English? And I said, I said, why? And he said, because your English is more British than American English. I said, it's true. I learned it in, 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 my, in my high school in Algiers, where I was living. And I went to a British school to learn English. So he noticed my English and hopefully he noticed the project I was, you know, showing to him. And then very quickly, I was promoted as a marketing manager. And very quickly, you know, I was promoted as a worldwide marketing manager for L'Oreal Makeup. 
which was at that time quite ugly. It was, you know, uh, uh, aubergine packaging. So I took it to gold, etc. I hired the best spokesperson. And they said, oh, my God, you're doing something so, so good that we would like you to become the big boss of L'Oreal worldwide. So it came quite quickly. But before that, they sent me as a general manager of L'Oreal in France so that, you know, I, I am not just, you know, managing marketing people. I was managing salespeople. I was managing, you know, um, back office people, etc. And it was fabulous. I did it for two years. I loved it. Most of the, my connections, you know, with what's happening, you know, in stores come from there. Uh, when I was at L'Oreal, when I launched the product, I always called a representative in the south of France saying, so how is it doing? Do people like it? What do they think of it? And this was key because when you are at the top seat, sometimes what's happening, uh, you know, in stores is so far from you. So this was an amazing experience. And then in what, uh, it was 2005, I was probably the youngest president of L'Oreal Worldwide, the brand, where I really, you know, worked for, what, four or five years to change everything. You know, I wanted to give a new sense to because I am worth it, it became because we are worth it to make it more inclusive. And I walked the talk by hiring, you know, not only blondes, but also brunettes, dark skins, people from all around the world to represent this brand. I hired Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, who were over 60 years old, which was also another way to say we're selling anti-aging products, but the models that were doing the advertising were under 30, which didn't make sense. And this was a huge success, to be honest with you. Uh, I hired also, you know, men, uh, men's, men actors like, you know, Matthew Fox from Lost, uh, Patrick Dempsey from you know this uh, what's what's the name this uh, this show on TV that's in hospitals very famous one etc he represented the brand Pierce Brosnan it was amazing it was probably one of the most exciting moments in my life because I felt that I had the trust from my management and therefore you know you can do what you want which is quite rare in big corporations but because figures were good also Right. If sales are good, you have more room to play. Always. What um what type of emotional pressures did this job um leave on you? I mean, imagine you're traveling quite often. Yes. That's was the thing I hated is, you know, the trips you had to do because when you are the CEO of L'Oreal and or after more it was more than more more over on Lancôme. I had to be in China, I had to be in uh, in the US, I had to be everywhere in Europe, Brazil. And you spend your life in planes. I'm tall. And when you are tall, planes, even if you are in a business class, because we are not allowed to go in first class, this was reserved to some people. You know, for somebody who is my size, it was complicated. You How know. tall are you? I am in, in, in centimeters, 185. So I don't know how much it does in, in interest, but I'm quite tall, you know, and you end up having your back broken in two. So you spend your life taking, you know, uh, painkillers and things to relax your muscles, etc. This was really the part I hated, plus jet lag. You add jet lag, etc. I remember one story. I was in Shanghai just being promoted as the president of Lancôme. It was in 2009, in June 2009. And I got a phone call from somebody in L.A., CAA agency. He was the agent of Julia Roberts and said, you know, Sue, Julia Roberts wants to meet with you. And I said, fabulous. When? Tomorrow. But I'm in Shanghai. Yeah, but you can fly to L.A. And I did it. And I did it, but it, it killed me. It was fabulous. I met her in a tiny cafe in Malibu, and we had a strong connection. And that's after that that I signed her as the spokesperson for Lancôme and for the fragrance La Vie est Belle. But this is, you know, the way I say it is funny and, 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 and makes you smile. But for me, it was huge in terms of energy, etc. 
But you know, that's life. And um, tell me about how you're able to manage your personal life when you're um, traveling and um, running that part of the business. I speak to my mother every day, wherever I am. This is something I try to keep in, in, in my mind. Today, I speak to Nicolas, the co-founder of the company, Nicolas Vu. He lives in Paris. I'm in London. And we spend one hour a day talking together. It's very important for me to talk about, of course, the business, etc., but also to go down to earth and to talk about what's happening. Are you sick? You should do this. You should do this. What did you eat yesterday? Who came to visit you? Because this, you know, in a way relieves stress from you. If you talk only about, you know, the figures, the issues, there are so many things that are difficult when you create a business that you can spend your life talking about things that do not work. So it's great for me to both speak about things that are doing well, but also about normal life. That's very important. Right. That's sort of the whole point of this podcast is to humanize our business because we can become robots of marketing. Absolutely. Right? And when right you're easily. a robot, you know what you do? You copycat the others. I consider this industry like a copycat industry, to be honest with you. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that on a podcast like this one where everyone is from the industry listening, but people look to each other too much. Don't look to the others. Have an idea. Get it in your mind and try to make it happen. And Because if you look to the others, you'll end up doing what they do. And since people are always looking, they call it benchmarking in big companies, and they're obsessed. Oh, they did a serum for the under eye. I'm going to do a serum for the under eye. They did something for the feet. Let's do something for the feet. No. Think about what is your brand all about, what your customers are looking for, and do it. And normally it should work. So at larger companies, there's a pressure to to do this. Um, we talk about staying in our own lane. Like, what is our lane and just stay in it? It doesn't really matter what's going on in the other lanes. But, um, you know, bigger corporations, the teams are under pressures for like, oh, we reached this number of billion impressions last year. So now we have to meet that. Even though, like, what do the impressions mean? Exactly. Like, is it really like the, what we want to uh, measure everything absolutely. against? But there's so much pressure. There is a lot of pressure because at the end of the day, you know, uh, uh, people are becoming, you know, figures obsessed and you need to show figures. Sometimes, as you said, you show a lot of figures, but nobody knows what it means. Uh, you know, uh, if you have thousands or millions of likes on Instagram, does it mean you have sales? Not sure. Um, if you have people, you know, complaining about your products, but what are the silent majority thinking, which are those who buy your products, etc. So I think we should always question what, that, what do things mean. Uh, and this, I think, will lower the pressure. The pressure is when everyone is competing on something they don't understand. And the only thing you are doing is let's increase this number that everyone is looking at. You know, it could be the stock of your company. It could be, as you said, the number of views. It could be how many products have we sold. Is it important to know how many products have you sold? Or is it important to know how many people are happy with the product that you have sold? So these are typically the kind of questions I try to ask myself. Uh, I have the chance to have a co-founder who is not daily in the business. And I want to keep him outside the business because he comes once, uh, once a month and he asks all the questions that no one thought of. And this is very important to have somebody, you know, that's outside the the daily business who can ask sometimes questions like, you know, but why, why are you doing this? Is it sure that it's working? Uh, everyone is doing it. Yeah, but why should we do it? So these are the kind of things I try to keep in my daily life. So what kind of advice could you give to somebody who works at a strategic um, who is... Um, you know, maybe they, they have a seat at the table. They might not be the CEO, but they can certainly be very high up. And who realizes that people are spinning out of control with this obsession of figures? Like, how can she 
really make people think about what matters and not what these, you know, these random numbers in isolation mean. I think they should listen to people, talk to people, exchange with people, customers. It could be people who have, you know, and get out of your, your industry. You know, I love to talk, you know, uh, when we created Orvida, the skincare line, I spent a lot of time talking to uh, one of my best friends in France. He's the best plastic surgeon. And I was talking to him and said, what are these women and men who come to your office and ask for, you know, procedure? At the end of the day, instead of explaining to me what the way you do your lift, etc., which is passioning, but I would like to understand what words do they use? What do they say to you? What do they complain about? And he says things like they don't want to look tired. They don't want, they, they, they don't say, I want to look younger. They say, I want to look refreshed, which is, you know, new words, etc. And when you understand that, you do things differently. Versus if I look to what the others are doing, they are all doing a lifting product. Let's do a lifting product. And this takes you somewhere else by listening to what people are really looking for on a daily basis and how are their lives. You know, you need to understand that. He says, a lot of my clients, you know, uh, they travel a lot. They always look tired. And when somebody complains about looking tired, it's not the same thing as somebody who complains about looking, you know, not the right age. So you do different things. You use the di different words and you use also different ingredients. And that's the way Patrick Brie helped us to create a line which is to be used pre and post procedure. And that's precisely made for this clientele. And it's all about recovery, you know, recovering from the procedure, but also recovering from fatigue, recovering from jet lag, recovering from using maybe harsh uh, uh, skincare, sometimes, you know, uh, too much retinols, things like this. And this, you cannot learn it by looking what the, at what the others are doing. So really get out of your natural field, I should say. So why leave a giant corporation with beautiful budgets to hire interesting and people? Salary. <laughs> and beautiful salary. <laughs> why leave that and start your own business? You know, I was uh, in my, I was 44 years old when this happened. And, you know, I had the option to stay at L'Oreal, maybe to climb the stairs to, you know, hopefully the highest seat, because, you know, when I do something, I like to do it to the maximum. I don't have any kind of boundaries, uh, no glass ceiling neither, uh, or create something my own. And I said to myself, this is the moment. If I don't do it now, I will never do it because it's more complicated to do things when you are 50, just because, you know, the body, is not as young and energic as before. And you know this is going to require a lot of energy. This week in the U.S., we've been visiting four cities in eight days. And every time in this country, when you visit a city, it's minimum four hours of playing. So you have to be, you know, in good health. And you cannot do it if you are not, you know, let's say in your 40s, 50s. You can do it, but beginning is harsh and difficult. So I thought that was the right moment to do it, but also because... Because of social media, and this is for me the main thing about social media, it gives you the opportunity to build your own audience and to create a relationship with them that you couldn't do 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you had to do, you know, a TV, which is very expensive and too strong to target, you know, a tiny, a tiny target, or you had to buy print pages in magazines, etc. Today, you can really build a community around yourself because of social media, but also because of, you know, the uh, birth of things like CRM, you know, so that you can have a discussion with your customers or with those who have a strong opinion or who are opinion leaders. So I said to myself, let's try it. You know, I proposed that, to be honest, to, 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 to the L'Oreal company. And they said, Sue, we need you on big things. And I said, okay, this is your need, but there is also my need. 
and they don't meet for once. So I have to go and create my own thing. And the other thing is that we need people, you know. I don't know where this is going to take me. But as some people say, if you don't try, you won't never know. So maybe creating the L'Oreal's or the Lotus of tomorrow, you need to start somewhere. So voila, that was the thinking behind it. And the day after you um, left the company, did you feel uh, any regret or fear? Lost. You felt lost? Lost. Tell me what that means. It means lost because, you know, you are... I was the CEO of one of the biggest beauty brands in the world, probably the biggest luxury brand in the world. I was just, I had just launched a fragrance called La Vie est Belle, which was 100%, you know, coming from my mind and from my nose, etc., which became today, I think, maybe the best-selling fragrance in the world, etc., which nobody has been able to achieve before me because Lancôme was launching and launching fragrances that were not successful. And suddenly there was nothing. And, 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 and I was, you know, even going to the hairdresser, somebody took care of me to do to go there. And you have to rebuild your life. Right. You have to do things for yourself. <laughs> exactly. You have to book planes <laughs> right. for yourself. You have to book the hairdresser I'm for yourself. I'm laughing because it's really true and honest and sweet that you like and talk you, about this. And you have to pay a lot of things yourself <laughs> before people offer you everything. And suddenly you have to pay everything. So voila. But it's it was it was a nice, you know how do you call that, you know, reminder. It was a nice reminder that this is real life. And 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 I love it. Honestly, I love it. Right. I'm a, well, I'm you can get person. closer to the customer when you're actually um, walking through the world the way that she does, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Even if your haircut is more expensive than hers, but making your own appointment, sitting down, paying for it, would I pay for this, right? And that's exactly. something I think is hard for us in our business. We get a lot of things for free. And I think my whole team does. We think a lot about, like, is this something I would pay for myself? Exactly. That's, um, that's a key question. It's very hard to transition from being um, your time being managed by, with all these um, forces that you are not, you know, around around your control, right? The, the people p- appointments on your schedule, you have to be at board meetings, whatever it is, um, to go from that to getting to choose how you spend your time. You said a word that's key. You said control. And I think in big companies, we all become uh, control freaks because everything has to be controlled and, you know, your agenda, who you meet, what you're going to say in a meeting, what you're going to say in an interview, etc. And then at the end of the day, you learn something that's for me is probably the most valuable thing. Don't try to control everything. This will relieve, you know, your brain, your body, everything. Try just try to control things that you have control on. You cannot control the universe. You know, I have this thinking that comes from Taoism, which was, you know, uh, the basis thinking uh, when we thought about creating Orvida, which is don't try to control everything. Do your best, put it in the middle of the universe, and let the forces in the universe do the rest. And this is so, you know, it releases you for, from so much stress and so much pressure. Because pressure kills us, you know. I'm an industry that was raving about anti-aging, but people, what they don't know is that stress creates, you know, cortisol in your body. And cortisol is the aging hormone, the perfect aging hormone. In laboratories, if you want to make a skin age faster, you put two drops of cortisol on it and you'll see it thinning in front of your eyes, losing its collagen and everything. That's why, for example, at Orvida, we don't use the word anti-aging. Because we feel at the moment where you say to people, this is anti-aging, they are aging instantly. Because biologically inside, you're producing cortisol. And cortisol is the stress hormone that makes you older and weaker because it makes your immune system go down. 
Well, see, this has been so fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing thank your you. wisdom with thank us you. today. Thank it's you. been great to get to know you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Sue. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.